Hey Retro Gamers, today on Smashing Bricks we become 00 agents in the 1997 first person shooter GoldenEye 007 for the Nintendo 64. Hey, welcome back to Smashing Bricks, a retro gaming podcast. My name is Eddie Anzato, and today I'm joined by returning guest, Anthony LaBella. Hey man, how's it going, Anthony? I'm doing well. I'm very, very excited to talk about one of the biggest games from my childhood, so it's going to be a good discussion today. Yeah, GoldenEye 007 for the Nintendo 64. I'm more hyped for this than i've been for any episode so far (laughs) this is episode 13 and we've reached peak hype mode for me personally (laughs) i hope that's not spoiling what's to come but i think so i mean i guess you hated it then yeah okay awful absolutely awful (laughs) game game. absolutely horrible game one of the worst we've ever played (laughs) yep okay so um this could run long so we're just gonna say we know you and we love you let's talk about goldeneye (laughs) so a quick overview just to start what's goldeneye 007 well goldeneye was a first person shooter for the nintendo 64 that is based on the james bond movie goldeneye i think it came out a couple years before that and it was released for the n64 in 97 which was a time when there were a lot of first-person shooters on PC, but there weren't really a ton, if any, from what I can remember, that were on console. So it was pretty groundbreaking in that sense, and I know it was hugely popular at the time. Uh, I knew a lot of people who had played it or um, would have multiplayer sessions with it, so it was just a really seminal game for the Nintendo 64 and pretty groundbreaking for first-person shooters on consoles specifically. Yeah, absolutely. GoldenEye really kind of changed a lot in the landscape of first-person shooters and and video games in general and it actually has a lot more interesting story than i ever knew because i wasn't reading up on it this deeply back in 1997 (laughs) right (laughs) we've discovered some cool stuff about the game that some of the listeners may know and some may not so this is a 25 year old game it's not the oldest we've done here but this is among the most recent yet that we've talked about on Smashing Bricks. Like you said, it was August 1997 in North America and Japan and November 97 in PAL regions for the Nintendo 64. It was developed by Rare, um, who at the time was a second party developer for Nintendo. They really got linked up with nintendo sort of at the end of the super nintendo era into the nintendo 64 era and it was published by nintendo themselves so this was a sort of cooperative effort between rare the development house and nintendo the publisher 
one of the most interesting aspects of this game's development that I never knew until now was that it was developed by a team that was largely inexperienced in making video games. None of them except the director had ever worked on a video game before. Did you know that this? is that is wild. I had no idea. I you cannot tell from playing the game that that's the case. I, <laughs> that is news to me and pretty amazing. That is shocking. And yeah. the director, Martin Hollis, who previously worked on Killer Instinct, the coin-op arcade cabinet before, uh, that was the only thing he had done. He has had some interviews since GoldenEye because, you know, he suddenly became kind of famous as far as uh, video game <laughs> developers go. And he talked about how he just hired people who were good at what they did, had a love for Bond, and who were enthusiastic. And wow. in their development process, they just kind of went for it. Anything that they came up with, they went for it. And that was partly due to their inexperience because they didn't know, oh, this is going to be super difficult, so let's not try that. So in a way, their inexperience made them more successful, according to Martin Hollis, the director. Yeah, I guess the ambition makes up for, for the lack of experience in a good way in this case. <laughs> yeah, the team was only, I think, 11 people. He had a couple of programmers, Mark Edmonds and Steve Ellis, some uh, designers, Duncan Botwood and David Doak, Dr. Doak, uh, artists, <laughs> Carl Hilton, B. Jones, and Adrian Smith, and three composers, Graham Norgate, Grant Kirkhope, and Robin Beanland, who only did the snazzy elevator music. And that's the whole team. Wow. That's pretty what small. small. That's team. like, that's yeah. Super Nintendo level. Or, or even earlier. Right, for a 3D game on a console, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it was so early, they didn't even have Nintendo 64 hardware to work with. They started this somewhat blind. So it was a small dev team for the time. They were all hired by Hollis. And Hollis was only hired at Rare initially to network the silicon graphics computers as they transitioned over because in this time period from super nintendo to nintendo 64 rare was really focused on this process that they introduced in donkey kong country and that the nintendo 64 was also going to utilize this sort of three dimensionality added to flat sprites that we saw in those games and um they needed him because he had unix experience and then he did some extra programming just for the operating system of the Killer Instinct arcade cabinet, uh, which is so funny. Wow. Later on, he just kind of got really excited about this James Bond project. As early as 1994, November, Rare and Nintendo were discussing a James Bond game, but it wasn't a serious project yet. And Hollis knew about this, so he just went straight to Tim Stamper and said he, he'd like to lead the project. He said in an interview, he was like, I went to Tim and I said, that sounds cool, I'd love to do that. And Tim was like, okay. 
And that was the whole thing. Uh, and at the time, <laughs> it was suggested that this game be another 2D platformer for the Super Nintendo because of Rare's mm. success with those Donkey Kong Country games. Oh. But Hollis said, well, I'd kind of rather do it on the Ultra 64 as a 3D shooter. <laughs> and then they were like, okay, let's do that. <laughs> Again, the ambition pays off. Yeah, Again, side yeah. Scrolling, let's go 3D and a first person shooter. Exactly. Dude was like, no, nah, <laughs> I want to do something really cool. That, right. was, that was basically the idea was he wanted to do something awesome. And he was interested <laughs> in the trajectory of video gaming at the time, as we all were, I think. He was inspired by a few different things, one being the 1994 game Virtua Cop, which was a, mm. a rail shooter. So he had the idea of making sort of a shooter like that with reloading and reactive hit animations and penalties for killing innocent people and adding mm. an aiming system. Of course, he was inspired by Doom, first-person shooter that everyone copied at the time. And then sort of partway through development, Super Mario 64 came out, and he took influence from that too with the objectives per stage, the way that mm. you used to jump into the pictures in Super Mario 64, and each time you would have a different objective, he got the idea, oh, let's put a bunch of different objectives into all of our stages, but they'll be all all available in the one run through you don't have to keep going back in so as i we didn't find realize out, that was the inspiration huh. yeah that's where that came from and of course john woo films with all the action bullet holes and everything cartridges flying everywhere explosions detritus <laughs> flying everywhere because everything <laughs> blew up in goldeneye and you know on this sort of foundation that he presented in a nine page design document that's where they started to build the game. And wow. he mentioned that the very first line of this design document was, the game will be similar to Virtua Cop in terms of gameplay. Well, that certainly <laughs> changed a bit. Right? right. It's so interesting to hear how it started. They started development in January 1995. And remember, this game came out in August of 1997. So... Oh, and the Nintendo 64 came out in September of 96, if I remember correctly. Mm. So this was all happening before the Nintendo 64 was launched, as I said. They didn't have Nintendo 64 hardware to work with. They didn't even know for sure how the Nintendo 64 would be controlled. They used SGI Onyx workstations to do the majority of the early work. And they worked on both a standard first-person shooter design as we know it today and as we saw in the final game, as well as a rail shooter in those early oh. days of development. Because again, huh. they didn't know what they were going to be capable of as far as moving in 3D space. And if you look at the video presented in the 1995 Space World demo, it was on rails. It was showing the camera moving along a set path. I think it was in the silo with the M16 gun. I remember it. I think it was also part of the promotional VHS tape that Nintendo Power sent to subscribers because I have some sort of vivid memory <laughs> of this like huh. three-second clip of Goldeneye. Wow. So yeah, they built sort of two 
early directions for the game that they ultimately went the way they went with GoldenEye as a regular sort of first-person shooter. And they used the Sega Saturn controller for early playtesting because <laughs> they had nothing else, <laughs> which is nuts. Another thing that Hollis mentioned later on was that they took this unusual sort of anti-game design approach to designing the game. He had them build levels simply as interesting spaces first, just like areas that he thought would be fun to play a game in. And then later they added the characters, the objectives, and even the start and end points were added way later. Hmm. Um, he also compiled a full list of James Bond gadgets. I think it was around 40. And later on, they figured out how, when, and where to insert them into the gameplay and the narrative where they would make sense to move the levels along. So it was very free-flowing. And you see that eventually in the gameplay where it kind of feels like you're in a real place and you have to go here and there and all around. Each level feels like a small open world, which I kind of didn't realize, but it makes complete sense. Yeah, if that was the design philosophy, then they started with really open spaces and had to mm -hmm. find the interesting things to put in after. So, yeah, that yeah. makes sense that the levels play like that. Yeah, and um, because they didn't have a really concrete idea of what they were working with they started by doing a lot of conceptual design in the first year of development because remember this is this was in development for two and a half years so the programmer mark edmonds built an original game engine for the game in order to apply all of their art assets to the 3d models and and uh data structures in the Nintendo 64 hardware or whatever, you know, make it work <laughs> so that they could actually put their stuff in the game. Uh, B. Jones did the characters, mapped out all the characters that would then be applied to the polygons. Uh, Adrian Smith worked on explosions and muzzle flashes and all like special effects. And Carl Hilton modeled the set blueprints that the team got from visiting the actual movie studios from the movie. <laughs> and then later those models were built out into 3d worlds primarily by Duncan Botwood. Nuts. Um, David Doak worked on level design and a lot of the kind of revolutionary AI scripting at the time that lent the game a stealthy approach. If you wanted to do mm -hmm. it that way. Um, and they built that game. They made the game, and about six months before it was finished, because they were kind of late, Rare gave them a little bit extra budget and said, bring somebody else on. They had another programmer who came in and helped out, and then with six months left, he was essentially assigned to build a completely separate game, which was the multiplayer. And they did that in secret, because... It would have never been approved and they had to do it and then finally show it to you know the heads of the studio in its complete form the game was not going to have multiplayer they originally thought it would 
they had to cut it out because they were delayed and then they secretly worked on it and put it back in when the game was basically finished what a what a wild story for one of the more iconic aspects of that game that it was done in secret right before release i know again just caution to the wind design in this game people i think (laughs) would say that the multiplayer was the main selling point of the game right and i think that might be objectively true yeah at the time i i feel like that was what everyone talked about or even just in hindsight thinking about the nostalgic piece of it that's where a lot of those memories come from for people so that's just amazing to me that it was such a quick turnaround on what is perhaps the the biggest mark that that game made on on the gaming public yeah um they even put the other james bond actors in the game for multiplayer (laughs) but mgm shot it down there they said no sean connery will demand a lot of money uh and then so will the others when they hear sean connery got paid so they said okay <laughs> here's brosnan's already you know on the license because he's in the movie we'll stick with that and we'll just add a bunch of other characters <laughs> so they made this game and the whole game is 12 megabytes i love to say how big the games are because it's hilarious yeah. to me 12 <laughs> megabytes right <laughs> Oh my god, that's like, what is that, 10 floppy disks? <laughs> Something like that. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so so that's basically the history. It came out in August of 97, and uh, you know it was released to rave reviews, etc. But were some games that were out at the time? So, like you said, the majority of the FPS games were on PC at the time. Mm-hmm. and the fps genre was still very young it was essentially only three years since the granddaddy of the first person shooter as everyone has come to agree wolfenstein 3d released in 1992 mm. they started yeah. making goldeneye in 1995 obviously it took a little while but that's when they started three years after that but After that, we had Virtua Cop in 1994, which was a different sort of game, but it was still the inspiration for GoldenEye. Doom came out in 1993 with the death matches, and Doom 2 in 94, System Shock in 94, the Heretic Hexen, Hexen 2 trilogy in 94, 95, and 97, same year as GoldenEye. Tons of Doom clones that were mostly terrible. Uh, Star Wars Dark Forces in 1995, Duke Nukem 3D in 1996, and Quake. It's kind of the real big boy in 1996 as far as real 3D shooters go. But as far as console first-person shooters, really there was nothing. The only original console first-person shooter was Turok the Dinosaur Hunter, also on the Nintendo 64 that Mm, came out in, in March of 97, same year. It probably Mm. started development after GoldenEye. Right. (laughs) And, you know, Doom 64 came out in April of 97 also. That was an original title for a console. But it was still based on the PC title. That Star Wars game, Dark Forces, was ported to PS1 in 96. And Hexen and Duke 3D also came to all the fifth generation consoles 
1997 as well. Quake came to the Saturn in 1997 and N64 in 1998. And that's it. That's really all that was there as far as first-person shooters. So GoldenEye was very early as far as first-person yeah. shooters. And we'll, we'll come to find out it did a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, and thinking about how all of those games were Nintendo 64, just think about Nintendo's journey since then, that the first really big console first-person shooters, Turok, Doom 64, GoldenEye, were all Nintendo games, is yeah. interesting to think about. Yeah, well, they actually designed it for that, in a way. You know, they probably saw right. all these first-person shooters becoming popular in the early 90s on PC, and they said, how can yeah. we make this console ready for these? They put a gun in their controller, right? The middle <laughs> the middle handle right. was just right. a, a gun handle with the <laughs> analog the trigger, stick yeah. above it. Interestingly, yeah. it was your left hand, which changed a lot in the years to follow. <laughs> but um, the expectations within the critical community were incredibly low for goldeneye huh apparently i would assume they knew that it was sort of a, a green team or at least there were ways of finding that mm -hmm. out if you're a journalist it was a movie tie-in historically terrible right. yeah tie-ins right so a lot of critics did not give this a lot of attention when it was in its uh, infancy and in like the preview stage at the shows when it's on display, you know what it's like. We Like when we go to E3 and there are games that aren't out yet and they're showing them off and you can stop and check them out or maybe not. So critics always thought that this was not going to be a good game. And then all of a sudden we have an average Metacritic score of 96 out of 100. Wow. Edge 9 out of 10. EGM, 9.38 out of 10. Game Informer, 8.5 out of 10. Game Revolution, A-. GameSpot, 9.8 out of 10. IGN, 9.7 out of 10. N64 Magazine, 94%. Next Gen, 5 out of 5. Nintendo Power, 9 out of 10. Gaming Age, 9.1 out of 10. So it exceeded expectations. <laughs> I would Clearly, say. yeah. Yeah. Sold 8 million copies. As far as the the report at around the turn of the century, I forget what it was. Yeah, which made it the third best-selling game on the N64, beating out Ocarina of Time, which I know many to can many consider the greatest game of all time, if if not one, you know, one of the best. Yeah, and in the United States, it was actually the second most of all time. Oh wow! Yeah, it. Uh, I think it was behind Mario Kart worldwide sure. but ahead of mario kart in the u.s wow yeah that's that's huge comparatively to some of those big nintendo franchises mm -hmm. and then if you think about the money they made the budget was two million mm -hmm. but they made 250 million dollars in sales so this brand new team throwing caution to the wind devil may care attitude in terms of game development makes up their money and well more with the kind of sales they were getting mm -hmm. and Nintendo didn't expect it because if you think about it, the GoldenEye film came out, was it two years before this game even came out? Yeah. So, so it's old already. Yeah. It's already old. It's a movie that people have already seen in theaters two years prior. It's out of sight, out of mind. 
So they didn't even make enough carts for the game. So <laughs> it came out in 97. It sold more in 98 and more in 99. Actually, more than both 97 and 98. Combined. Combined. Nuts. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is incredibly nuts. <laughs> it went on to win a bunch of awards. It won the BAFTA Interactive Entertainment Games Award in 98, with Rare winning the Best UK Developer. It won numerous awards at the AIAS, the uh, Interactive Achievement Awards. It was the, the Game of the Year, essentially, the Console Game of the Year, the Console Action Game of the Year, and Outstanding Achievement in Software Engineering, as well as being nominated for Outstanding Achievement in Art and Graphics and Outstanding Achievement in Interactive Design. EGM gave it Most Addictive Game and the Best Movie to Game Adaptation in their 1998 Buyer's Guide and Game of the Year in their Editor's Choice Awards. High so, praise. Yeah. Talk about exceeding expectations. Yeah. And what's funny is that an interview I read with Martin Hollis, he actually said that they had no idea what the expectations were in their little bubble of work. Because I didn't mention this, but Hollis himself said he averaged an 80 hour work week over the entire two and a half years of the project, sometimes going up to 100 hours a week. And Ugh. so did a lot of the people on the team. They were so dedicated and so talented, even though they had done nothing before. And obviously it showed. So these guys were working so hard. They were in their own world. They had no idea that nobody expected much from them, which was <laughs> probably ultimately a good thing because they, they did work so hard and they did produce something amazing. So when they released it, they were just like, I hope people like it. And then boom, all this praise. That's incredible. Yeah, especially with such a small team that mm -hmm. you can see why all those hours are being put in that, what, no more than a dozen people worked on it? Yeah. Um, as far as its legacy, it's really interesting. Usually a game this big, and this has been sort of a theme in, in this game's history since then, is everyone's always wanted a remake, but it yeah. never really got one. Um, 2005, GoldenEye Source was made and put into beta, which is a, a total conversion mod of the Source SDK, the Source engine that powered, um, counter-strike and half-life 2 mm -hmm. and that became official in 2010 so that was just a multiplayer only kind of reimagining of the of the game then there was this xpla xbox live arcade remaster in 2006 to 2008 ish that was never released because microsoft had bought rare in 2002 and of course, GoldenEye should be remade for Xbox Live Arcade. Why wouldn't you do that? So they started working on it. They figured, yeah, we bought Rare. We can make this game. They realized they had to get some sort of licensing agreement from Nintendo because Nintendo was the publisher. And they also had to get a licensing go-ahead from MGM, the, the movie studio. And this just never happened. And it was probably because of Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think not a not a bad assumption. <laughs> so they basically made this entire game and never released it. And Ugh. I think it was revealed in 2016 and then a full playthrough showed up in 2019. 
Um, and then now it's on YouTube because people were able to to download it. It was uploaded to some dark sites that you can go and get <laughs> things like this on. And I watched this and it looks pretty cool. It's just a oh, yeah? really high res upgrade to the original game. It looks like it plays exactly like the original, just with mm -hmm. all this remastering done. Looks super cool. Okay. I wish I could play it. Yeah, I'll have to look at that. So people knew about that. And then finally, just this year, a couple mm -hmm. months ago, January, the game was released on the Xbox Series S and Series X and the Nintendo Switch. To sort of mixed reception, I think because the Xbox one doesn't have multiplayer and the Nintendo Switch one doesn't let people update the controls to sort of modern FPS controls. So people aren't super happy with it. It's a strange dichotomy there because, yeah, as you said, the I believe the Xbox version, you can kind of give it modern controls. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the Switch version, which I was playing just yesterday, trying it out, uh, is entirely accurate to how it was on S64 in terms of controls, which <laughs> felt interesting. We'll get into that later. But mm. it's just strange how there's they're two very different versions. And then the Switch version has the online multiplayer if you if you can, you know, find a friend who also has it. Yeah. You can uh, play split screen online. So I will have questions about that Switch version if that's what you played. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um and the other thing is the same team was asked to make another game, a sequel based on Tomorrow Never Dies, which was the next Bond film with Pierce Brosnan that came out I think the same year as goldeneye the video game like they were they took so long the next movie right. was already coming out <laughs> so it actually got a little boost from that but um they declined to do that because they were a little bonded out so they wanted to work on something original and they made perfect dark which uh, then came out in 2000 for the nintendo 64 and it was one of the most advanced games released for the nintendo 64 requiring yeah. the memory expansion pack and really pushing that to the limits okay now the moment we've all been waiting for <laughs> tell me about your history with goldeneye yeah so goldeneye came out when i was very young goldeneye came out when i was six years old i was born in 91 so this was 97 and a lot of the ways I consumed games back then when I was that young was watching my brother play them. And then once I got a little bit <laughs> older, I'd start playing story. them. Right. Older brother is playing the game. I'm watching, you know, eyes wide going, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. So we had an N64. I, I feel like we got one for, for a Christmas maybe uh, before that. And my brother would play some games on the N64 and I would watch. And I remember he got GoldenEye 007. And I'd watch him play it, and yeah, there's guns and there's violence, but you know, back then, my parents felt I was mature enough to to watch with my brother. So I'd watch him play GoldenEye, and it was something entirely new to me. I, I definitely remember Super Mario 64 being the really mind-blowing game that I saw on there, but GoldenEye was, was right behind it, because first-person shooter wasn't anything I knew about. We... We did not have a computer that could play games, or not a lot of games. We had Roller Coaster Tycoon or SimCity in the 90s, but nothing like GoldenEye, nothing 3D like that. So 
that was also mind blowing. Just seeing that perspective for something action based, unlike a Super Mario 64, which is very vibrant and kid friendly. Here is this more action romp based on this famous movie that I had sort of heard about. And that kind of blew my mind too, that I hadn't seen anything like this before. So I'd watch and play. And then I'd say probably 98, 99, when it was selling even more, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I w- would start actually trying to play. I'd start playing some games with my brother. So I had seen him play through the whole single player campaign, but then, then we started dabbling with the multiplayer and, some of my fondest video game memories are playing GoldenEye with my brother. And we would just play the silliest game modes and the silliest maps. I, I remember we would do the slaps only mode. We would choose it so we only had mines. We would just throw proximity mines everywhere. or We'd only have rocket launchers. Uh, I distinctly remember hiding in the bathroom a lot in that one. I think it's the facility <laughs> level. And we would try to find each other. So if we're hiding, we would shoot a rocket into the bathroom or try to go on the, I think there was the vents in that level. So you can get in the vents and then drop down into the stall. So <laughs> there was yeah, so was much laughter. Yeah. You would spawn in the vent. So there was just so much laughter and silliness around that, that helped us really bond. Oh, I didn't even mean to to make that pun, but <laughs> we bonded together. I walked right into that one. Okay. <laughs> we uh, bonded together a lot playing golden eye. So I have really, really fond memories because of that. And then I tried the single player when I was younger, too. And I I remember thinking it was pretty challenging for me because I would have been, you know, eight or nine at the time. And I don't think I ever finished the campaign, but I I remember getting really far in the single player. Um, And I remember enjoying that a lot, too. I know the multiplayer is the really iconic aspect that was really influential and was kind of the the biggest discussion around that game at the time. But I remember thinking that the single player campaign was also really cool. And there were all those objectives. And, you know, we'll talk more about that when we get to the level design and structure. But I remember really enjoying that too. And and thinking that was a great part of the game as well. Um, And then we'll get to sound later, but the sound of this game is maybe the thing I remember most. Mm. If you were to ask me to think about anything about GoldenEye, b- before I'd even say the multiplayer, I would say the sound of GoldenEye 007. Just the almost cartoonish gun ricochet sound that you get. And mm-hmm. that soundtrack is just incredible. It's got it's got the, you know the deep bass and and the almost like hip hop or R and B beats in it. It's just it sounds incredible, and the the reload sound is probably top three video game sounds I remember in my life. Just the mm-hmm. sound when you reload a gun is right up there, probably top three sounds. Probably that, the Metroid pickup sound, and maybe hitting the coin block in Mario. It's probably those three for me that I, I think of first when I think of video game sound. So just the, the sound design and the soundtrack are also incredibly iconic to me and make me think back to my early childhood. So it's just something that makes me feel very happy and makes me think about my brother when I think about this game. So it's very impactful in that sense, in that nostalgic sense. That is awesome. That is such a good collection of memories around a game. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I too. How about you? Have tons of memories surrounding this game. So this game came out 
right around my 13th birthday, which is perfect. That's a great sweet spot. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That is the perfect time in a young boy's life to play video games and to love all the things that you're into and remember them for life. This is no exception. This was my favorite game at the time. And I was the Nintendo 64 kid among all my different (laughs) groups of friends because I believed in Nintendo. I didn't have a PlayStation right away. And I was all about this game when it came out because I did see that early VHS tape that Nintendo Power sent out. And I saw this game in that tiny clip and I said, wow, that looks cool. Guns, (laughs) weird. I hadn't had much experience with first-person shooters at this time either, except I played Doom on the computer at my mom's job in, like, the back room, and that was fine. (laughs) I love that that's where you played it. (laughs) Yeah. Your mom's job (laughs) in the back room. So so that was fine, but this was a whole new thing. This was 3D for real with polygon backgrounds, you know, lots more movement, vertical aiming. It looked amazing at the time i also remember getting this classified information folder i think probably also from nintendo (laughs) that was a little preview booklet of all of the aspects of goldeneye must have come out in early 97 because it showed a lot of the stuff and that got me so hyped i have a vivid picture like a an actual visual memory of reading it in my mom's car at the gas station when it came from (laughs) in the mail at the post office. Like I can visualize the entire scene. This was very, very core memory realm. Yeah. And then getting the game, I played it like crazy. I played the single player. I beat every level on every difficulty. I got all of the secret codes by beating the levels on their specific difficulties in a set amount of time. I then introduced the game to all my friends. We played four-player split-screen, death matches constantly. It was the main game that we played. I became so good at this game. I used to play <laughs> three versus one with all my friends on all, oh, the different, there we go. all the different multiplayer modes. We would do you know, license to kill, one shot only, mm-hmm. the, the man with the golden gun, and they would all try to keep the golden gun away from me. We did, <laughs> oh, the, when we did the the mode that had proximity mines, or and uh, especially remote mines, was like, I was a god at remote mines. <laughs> Whenever remote <laughs> mines came up, people were like, no, forget this. We're skipping this one. <laughs> Master of screen watching, looking at everyone else's screen. Oh, of course. Screen. Oh, gosh, yeah, the screen watching of the time, yes. Yes, on a split-screen video game. I don't you know, now we have... No one. Yeah, now we have <laughs> multiplayer over the internet only, but couch multiplayer, you have to have the screen divided into quadrants, so I'm up there in the top left, but the majority of the time I'm looking at the other three, and <laughs> you're going to die when you come right around that corner. And we played it all the time for like three years there's so much i could say that so many little memories oh we used to make up little songs to go with the music like oh i love that oh one one that i always remember is i think it was the temple 
I would love doing the temple multiplayer level with grenade launchers because it had those holes in the walls high up and you could shoot from one chamber through them into some of the other chambers for like kills out of the blue. And it had the music (laughs) rooting, Granadas Lanches, Granadas Lanches. (laughs) So many, so many songs like that were kids, you know, but these things stick in my memory. Um, Yeah. And then I had one friend who went to school in the next town, but he was like part of this friend group. And he was like the king of that friend group over there, like separate group of kids. And then we had this sort of showdown one time where we went through each and every one of the weapon sets in multiplayer and we split. I think it was like six to six on each of the weapon sets. And there was no like true king of Goldeneye. And then I proceeded to be terrible at every first-person shooter ever made after that when we switched over to dual-stick controls. Yes, it's built for a certain uh, <laughs> certain type. Yeah, it's so <laughs> funny. Um, so much more to say about this, but let's move on to our most recent play, which we just had. Um, where to start? So, did you have fun replaying this game? I did have fun replaying this game and it's I I honestly wasn't sure. I thought especially with 3D games, right? The way that th- old 3D games age. Mm-hmm. It's very different from 2D games because I think a lot of 3D games are very much built on at least at this time, right? Are built very much on the groundbreaking technology and they're not maybe as mechanics driven as an older game or or more 2D focused game. So then, you know, old Metroids hold up well, or you know, old side-scrollers, but then older 3D games can be a bit of a struggle to go back to. So I was I was honestly not sure if I would have a ton of fun going back to GoldenEye, or if it would be more of a nostalgia trip, right? And I honestly think a lot of this game does hold up. I think we'll probably go into more detail, but but just the level design, and maybe more the objective design, and the way the difficulty is handled... I think really feels fresh and interesting even in the year 2023. Yeah. And, and just the feeling of being a secret agent, I think still, still exists if you play this game now, which it's a James Bond video game. If you think of the objective list of what a James Bond video game needs, I would say feeling like James Bond needs to be in there at the top. And (laughs) I, I did feel like, I was a secret agent when I was playing this game, and I was really impressed that that aspect of the game still held up all these years later. So, you know, I'll have criticisms we'll go over as as we go through, but overall, I did really enjoy playing through the game again. Yeah, me too. I saw a lot of things that now, looking back, are kind of ridiculous and, you know, like sort of quote-unquote bad, but I also realized that at the same time, for 1997, they were awesome. Yeah. Which is a lot of the sort of like AI movement and stuff and some mm-hmm. of the the way the world was filled out. But um what you said about the missions and the the objectives in the missions. Yeah. I I realized that that's still so good. And it really comes together especially in the double O agent difficulty because the objectives all tie together narratively 
so you can mm-hmm. see what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how each objective leads to the next thing that you have to do. Like, yeah. you'll put a data transfer module on a thing, and then you'll go somewhere else and use the computer that relies on that data transfer gadget having been placed to send information. Or you'll you'll set up this other thing and then go to somewhere else in the level that relies on that. And you'll put a, a tracker on a on a helicopter because that's going to the next level and it'll yeah. be there and that's how you got there. And <laughs> it's amazing. I still don't really know what the overall story of either goldeneye the movie or goldeneye 007 the game (laughs) is yeah because i didn't really spend the time to read all of the files that precede right the dossiers of the the 20 levels but if you wanted to there is a pretty well written out story there from all these briefings you get from Mm -hmm. your team all the the main players in the bond universe uh you know q and money penny and m it really fleshes that out to make it feel like you said, like you are James Bond and you absolutely do. And it's really special the way that Hollis and the team started with those gadgets because I didn't realize it that much, or maybe I did at the time, but it's been a long time, 25 years, but playing Mm -hmm. through it again, those gadgets are in every single level and they let you do cool and different stuff that was never part of first person shooters in the early 90s those were doom clones those were corridor shooters i still have never played system shock um i have a feeling it's wildly different from all those but um the majority yeah (laughs) the majority of those games were just run through shoot everything open the next door, find the key card, get to the end. Cool. This was fun. Right. The puzzle aspect of those games was very much key-based, right? Mm-hmm. Figure out the map, right? There's still the, you're kind of doing the internal mapping to find the secret doors or, or where the key goes. But that was kind of the level of puzzle of those games, even if they were trying to break up the combat. Whereas the level of puzzle or or the mechanics that aren't distinctly shooting in this game are way more engaging, I think, than what a lot of those games back then were doing. Yeah, and I mean, let's talk about stealth. There's real stealth in this game that is not prescribed. It's not something that is set up for you to just fall in line with. It's something for you to strategize about and, Mm -hmm. and execute on your own, to pick a route based on where the guards are, to duck behind things, to only shoot once or twice because oh here's something did you know that in this game there is a timer related to the sound that you make and levels of sound attached to each gun so if you're using your silenced pp7 and you shoot once there's say just for example you have a loudness score of one and after a certain Mm -hmm. number of seconds it decreases back to zero And you could shoot a second time, and it goes up another one, and then decreases. And only after you reach a certain loudness threshold do guards nearby realize that something is going on. 
and then they will move based on sound in a particular radius. And with each shot, the radius gets a little bit bigger. But if you wait, the radius shrinks. So just through that, the game design encourages you to A, use the quieter guns instead of the more powerful guns, because obviously the little pistol is weaker than an AK-47, and it incentivizes you to fire as few shots as possible. Yeah. To go for so headshots. So then you want to go for headshots. Yeah, 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 totally. And that's another thing. The the hit boxes that are specific to body parts, you can shoot them in the head for an instant <laughs> kill. This is one yeah. of the early games that had headshots because it had full polygon enemies. Or you right. can shoot them in the leg and they stop and they grab their leg. Or you shoot them in the hand and they drop their gun. Things like that. You can shoot them in the butt and they hop up and down. Do you remember that one? <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love doing that. <laughs> so using those other baked-in mechanics to your advantage was really important and really fun and very new and very exciting. Yeah. Um, and and now seeing it again, I was remembering, oh yeah, this was really ahead of its time. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot about that kind of groundbreaking piece of it. The the fact that you have the individual limbs that you can focus on. You can bring up the reticule to aim at the head. I guess when I think back on GoldenEye, those things don't stand out to me. But playing it again now, I realized, whoa, if you think about this in 97, that's really revolutionary that you have that that level of control and how you're going to play and, and how you're going to aim when you're doing combat so that there are multiple ways to approach it because we'll probably talk more about it now, but I'm the kind of person who's terrible at stealth. It's mm. really, really bad. And I always do stealth to a degree, but I think the game also gives you the tools to play it in a louder, heavier way and still manage Absolutely. to get through the objectives and get through the level. So I love, I love the, the player freedom in that sense that yes, James Bond should be stealthy and here are your tools, but if it goes sideways, there's still a way to deal with it in that way, too. Yeah, it gives you that choice right away. You get the yeah. AK-47, the KF-7 Soviet, actually, mm-hmm. right away. I think the first person yeah, you kill drops it. So from the first person you kill, you have yeah. the option to continue with your stealth silenced PP-7 or yeah. immediately switch to an assault rifle. Right. That's cool. Yeah. And that gun is not like the the next little tiny step up. It's like a full power. It's one of the strongest weapons. Yeah, right it can you could play through the whole game with that thing and, mm-hmm. and manage. Absolutely. That's another thing I like is that the enemies are human beings. They have a set amount of health, let's say, and it's the same throughout the game for the most part some of them will have like body armor and the amount of hits that they can absorb goes up with difficulty level but it's pretty uniform from the beginning to the end as far as like agent mode goes and then it's uniform when you go up to secret agent from beginning to end and it's uniform and double Mm -hmm. agent which is cool because they then increase the difficulty of each scenario of each little encounter within the larger level. They'll make a more complex grouping 
of enemies that you have to deal with, like from room to room. Right. Which obviously I was not analyzing as a 13 year old, but seeing it now. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, oh, I was remember this. eight or nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, 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 big bro. Check out this enemy AI. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was really good. And the, so speaking of, of more of the enemy AI, they had scripting where these people, these, you know, the enemies in the game, they were trying to live, right? They were trying to do things. They were reacting to the world they were in. If you shot someone and they saw that person get shot, they knew that you were there. That was new. Yeah. They would decide either to attack you, to hide, to preserve their life, to to roll, or if they could, they would run to a nearby alarm to trip yeah. the alarm and set it off and then bring in all these other enemies to come and, you know, fight this intruder. And seeing, you know, a room where you have a few guards and two of them start shooting at you while the third one runs to turn the alarm on, that's really cool because you have to figure out, oh, am I going to shoot these guys who are shooting at me or should I shoot the guy who just ran toward the alarm, get him first and then shoot these other two? Yeah. Or even if I'm correct, the like at least on some of the levels you have the alarms that you can shoot before they yeah. even get to it. Yep. Yeah. So then all of you them. have that aspect of it too. Yeah, it's it's all of them, right? Yeah, yeah, you can go around and preemptively eliminate alarms. And that's right, actually before, a big point mm-hmm. is the very first level one of the basic objectives is neutralize all alarms. Yeah. So it immediately mm-hmm. teaches you that right. the guards will be activating these alarms throughout the game. So this is an objective in the first level. You know that alarms are important. They're a core part of how the enemies will try to kill you. You yeah. have to deal with them. And you can use them throughout the game to maintain your stealthiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a smart way to tutorialize that. Yeah, Yeah, and that includes later on they have automatic alarms the ones that are set off by mm-hmm. the video cameras on a swivel so right. you have to see those shoot them without them seeing you or within a certain amount of time of them seeing you before they trip the alarm automatically that's and that's really another one too. that's an objective right the camera one i forget what level it is but i think that's also one when you first see the cameras that's one of the objectives is to destroy oh, yeah, maybe it is all the security cameras, much like the the first level with the the sound. Yeah, alarms. yeah. I think the the text they use is uh, "destroy surveillance," something like that. Yes, right? yes. I think right. it might be the first time you go in the bunker. Yeah, that sounds right. It might be bunker one, which is also cool. They re they reuse two of the levels, mm-hmm. and one of them is uh, set in daytime and then in nighttime, and the other one is in a half built state. And then a fully built state when you come back. Right. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. That is cool. Also, continuing with the the stealth line of thinking, something I learned in my research of the game this time that I kind of knew somewhat instinctually from playing the game, but didn't know explicitly, is that enemies were designed with an AI that that made windows opaque to them. They can't see through the majority of windows in the game and it's done (laughs) on purpose they did that to give you the sense of being 
this secret agent who's sneaking around and being able ah. to watch your enemies and get the drop on them like you're a secret agent. I see. And Hollis said, obviously, this isn't realistic, but it makes for a really good game. And that's totally true. Right, because there's limitations to the stealth they can implement in a first-person shooter, right? It's, you know, crouching and leaning against cover, right? That's going to be something they can't maybe fully integrate. So it's, yeah, it might not be realistic, but it's it's the way they can incorporate that that level of stealth in the game and reinforce it. So I think that was a really smart decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was so, like, such a revelation to read hollis describing that i was like oh my god you're so right that (laughs) is what happens (laughs) it's nuts they put a lot of thought into the game because as he said in one of these interviews was they would get ideas and because they didn't have experience they would say that sounds cool let's do that right (laughs) okay no limits sure throw it in there why not (laughs) we're already working 80 hours this week let's do it that's crazy. So they did those things. They put really cool scenarios throughout the game. There are so many times where you get into these high intensity situations where you go to complete an objective maybe and now an alarm is triggered and you have to get out and go through a bunch yeah. of guards or the end of the level comes and and now you have to beat a timer or all kinds of different things like this that really get you hyped along with that music going really exciting yeah Yeah, very dynamic totally and there are moments like when you come across rooms where there are hostages and one of the bad guys is pointing a gun directly at some civilian and you come (laughs) into the room and all of a sudden you're faced with this and you're like oh i gotta react and you have to shoot (laughs) just the guy holding the other person at gunpoint you have to do that a few times there are hacking sequences, there's protecting some comrade, someone doing something for you. There's uh, Natalia who comes with you through the jungle and shoots people. Mm -hmm. Oh man, there's so many different things. So many interesting scenarios thrown into this game at every turn. Yeah, and again, it's, it's because you're James Bond, right? James Bond does not run through and shoot everyone and murder thousands and thousands of people. He he kills some people. He does secret agent stuff. And I think that level of dynamic level design where lots of different things are happening, escort missions, shooting a bunch of enemies who are coming at you because an alarm set off, um, you know, planting the thing on the monitor to hack it, uh, making a copy of a key, just all these different things, again, mm-hmm. are going back to that really important aspect of feeling like, 007 and i think they really nailed that yeah yeah definitely okay so we're really praising this game what are oh, some can i can i bring up the sorry the ai um watching them roll will never <laughs> not be hilarious they look like they haven't worked out in in years and it's just the slowest roll you've ever seen <laughs> they're really trying but <laughs> it looks so silly every time I love yeah. it. Yeah, I actually wrote this down. Silly AI <laughs> dodges. I wrote rolls with exclamation points. Right. <laughs> I never thought they were good back then, but I didn't think they were bad at the time. But looking at them now. It's charming. They're just ridiculous. It's bad, but it's charming. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes my favorite one that I did remember was really dumb back in the day was the guy would be standing there straight and then do a two foot hop to the side. <laughs> yes. That was always oh, one of my so favorite good. ones. Right. And also yeah. the um the roll, if you shoot them while they're rolling, they'll fully stand up to do their I just got killed animation. The, the death from a animation. Position. Yeah. <laughs> really funny. A lot of like yeah. silly AI. Some uh, good humor routines. in there, yeah. But you know what? <laughs> this nine person team or eleven per whatever it was, they did the motion capture for the game. Because who else was gonna do it? They don't have actors that they hire wow. to put in to put in green screen suits. They had yeah. an early motion capture machine where they were connected via wires to the <laughs> machine while doing the motions. And in interviews, they've said, yeah, this was not easy because we may try to do something and yank the cord and pull the whole computer sure. off the desk. Oh, And it was done in like this hot room. Oh, man. It was really quite an effort to yeah, that's get incredible. these motion captures in. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, but are some of the the faces of enemies, is it some or all, are are the developers, or am I making that up? I feel like I've heard that before. That a some lot of the faces of them printed absolutely on there. are. I don't know if it's yeah, all of okay. them. But, well, obviously some of them have masks and whatever. But uh, yeah. a bunch of them, if not the majority of them, are the faces of the different right. team members. And one That's of them great. is even named Dr. Doak in the second level. Yes, you mentioned He's that named earlier, after right? David Doak, one of the designers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's such such a cool little tidbit. Yeah, so on on the graphics, um, we said that they were very good for the time, but they're also like a little rudimentary, right? Mm -hmm. They they took assets, like flat art assets, and like stuck them on polygons and wrapped them around the polygon and like made these faces <laughs> yeah. that were weirdly warped and they look a little <laughs> yeah. funky today and people will they do. trash they look talk very them. funky but back in the day i was like wow i see a face it's like that's right enough. you can see a I face, see a yeah. face. <laughs> and it looks somewhat realistic for the time yeah previously we had what we had mario he was just made of polygons he was a cartoon or we had yeah, Cloud yeah, Strife. Say, cartoonish. He was yeah. just a bunch of polygons, a pointy nose, and a you know, we right. had we had those types of designs for characters. This we had a somewhat photorealistic image of a face, just mm -hmm. kind of weirdly put on the polygon. <laughs> yeah. Like a mask has been pulled back over the front of their face to mm -hmm. create the effect. And I mean it's a big deal to even have polygon backgrounds, as I kind of alluded to earlier a lot of the early games were kind of built on on semi 3d sort of flat mm -hmm. backgrounds that did uh, uh, like scrolling effects and and parallax effects to give you the illusion of 3d and right. then there was like quake which had real 3d and this had real 3d mm -hmm. and it had some flat objects of course but it was a good combination i thought for the time but uh, also oh, some things were just weird. Like you would look at a, a foreground object and you're like, is that 3D? Is that just a flat thing that looks different depending on what angle <laughs> I'm looking at it at? Right. And some of the things you would shoot, everything would explode, first of all. Like yes, crates, wooden crate, explosion. A locker in the <laughs> locker room, explosion. Yeah, explosion. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so weird. And then once they exploded, they turned into like burnt paper. Right, just black, burnt remnants. <laughs> thin, paper thin. You could yeah. like kind of see inside them like origami. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's what it was at the time. <laughs> right. It's funny, though. It doesn't age well. Just, I mean, yeah. at the time, yes, this was impressive. I feel like it's true of a lot of N64 games, of all the old consoles, even the mm-hmm. 3D ones, you know, PlayStation 1. It's just the N64 ones, it, it could be hard to look at nowadays. And I definitely thought while I was playing this that, yeah, this does not hold up at all visually to mm. me. Just you need the context of where, when it was and what it was doing. Because without that, I think it does look very, very poor. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's just the faces, like you said, are warped and very flat geometry in spots. And, and yeah, just the lack of detail in some spots. So... I think you I think you need the context to get past how it looks nowadays. Yeah. One level that I always thought was bad, that I thought looked bad, that wasn't fun to play through, and that I was reminded of this time is Statue Park. Mm-hmm. Oh it's my just god. Well, polygons piled on ugh. the ground. I don't I always when I was a kid and even playing it now, I just get hopelessly lost in statue. It's it's pretty large, and you have the landmarks of the statues, right? Mm-hmm. But it just all, and I guess it does go back to the visuals. It feels like a visual mess, and I have no idea where I'm going. And I take way longer than I need to on this level. I just, I I really don't like the way it's designed, just in terms of where where you have to go for the objectives. And that the ground and just... The general area looks very similar if you don't have the landmarks in front of you. Mm. So I just felt like I have all the levels. It's the one I always get hopelessly lost in, including when I played it this time. Yeah, I never liked that level. But (laughs) I also, I remember getting lost in it similarly early on. But at this point, it's burned into my memory kind of which way to go. Just because (laughs) I did play through every single level with the intention of doing sort of the speed run to get the cheats. And I'm pretty sure that one was one of the most difficult ones. I think it was really fast, but yeah, that one was funky. And in, in other levels, I was noticing this time that there are a lot of empty rooms, just empty areas, especially I really started to notice it on the surface level the outdoor snowy level. Oh, the the snowy one. Yeah. You'd walk Uh into one of these bungalows and it was literally an empty rectangle. Nothing whatsoever. Yeah, you're right. That's true. And in a lot of the other buildings too. Yeah. It's crazy. Huh. Um, Let me just look at some of my chicken scratch here. Okay, so from visuals, we should come back to sound. You were talking about sound earlier, and I wanted to jump in, but I saved it for now. The very first thing on my notes here says, the music is legend, wait for it, <laughs> dairy. <laughs> yes. Oh, it facility. so is. 
Siberia, <laughs> the the surface, the bunker, the silo. All of them are just killer, Iconic. killer tracks. Even that elevator music. The elevator so music's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I would stay in that elevator, just hang out with Natalia right. for a little while. Hold on, Natalia. Yeah, we, we have to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Any of these tracks, except for maybe like one or two, are are very upper echelon. I love them. Yeah, it's, it's bangers. Amazing. It's bangers front to back. Yeah. yeah. I had to agree with that. I had to bring that up again. So good. I don't even know which one is the best because like so many are just, oh, I remember this track so good. Yeah. I mean, the pause menu one's the one that always just the pause menu. comes to mind when I think of the game. Obviously, everything yeah. else is great too, but that's that's the one, right? Is that, oh, that pause menu music. This is the mm-hmm. pause menu music. Really? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Why not? <laughs> there was that recent viral, whatever, TikTok, I saw the Instagram. TikTok. Yeah, whatever. I saw that where the guy's jamming. I like that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I even made my own sort of copy of that with the music for Gerudo Valley in uh, Ocarina of Time. Oh, nice. Oh, that's um, good. You can find that on the Smashing Bricks Instagram if you're interested. <laughs> um, okay, what else can we talk about here? The sound effects you mentioned. I wanted to talk about that. The the bullets yeah. when you shoot like a machine gun. I read mm-hmm. that they had a set of like a dozen sounds or more that would just kind of randomly play as you were shooting with all the pew, ping, ching, 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 you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that would just add to the that John Woo effect as like little fragments oh, sure. were falling off of the walls, mm-hmm. bullet holes were appearing everywhere, pieces of the boxes yeah. were flying, and you had that sound going with it. <laughs> so good. Everything... Yeah, and, and like I said, the, the reload sound is just... Mm-hmm. Pure perfection. I mm-hmm. love it so much. Here's another tidbit. I couldn't add all this in the history, so I was just saving it for now. Yeah. They considered doing this really cool thing with reloading. They wanted to have reloading activated by quickly removing the rumble pack and putting it back into the controller. That was really? part of this crazy ambition of this of this newbie team wow i would expect that from nintendo themselves not not this group of new de- i mean is you know it's the new developers doing whatever yeah so cool I guess, I guess that makes sense they thought of that <laughs> it didn't happen actually because nintendo didn't like it and i'm not sure why but i can yeah. kind of imagine that maybe they felt like it was making it too real too much like you're handling a gun okay yeah with the controller already having the trigger to it sure I thought that would be cool, but it also yeah, might absolutely. be extra wear and tear on the controller that was already falling apart from your circles in Mario yeah, Party. Yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, rotating the stick, wearing a glove so you don't hurt yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what else? More controls. The auto-aim is sick. Oh, yeah, it's I really well done. Yeah. I felt like a straight-up gunslinger. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like, what was that game? Um, Splinter Cell Conviction. Oh. Much later game mm-hmm. in like the teens, the, the 2010s, where you walk into a room and you mark all your enemies. Oh, and then yeah. Quickly press the button and, right. and uh, Sam Fisher kills them all. 
I could do that myself in Goldeneye right? <laughs> because the auto-aim was so good. It's so good. It's so generous. I. Yeah. It's funny. When I first loaded it up to do this, Had I, I honestly had not played it since probably 2000, would be mm-hmm. my guess. Maybe 01. So, you know, 20 plus years. And I was kind of struggling in the first level just on normal difficulty. And I wouldn't say it's a super easy game, but I wouldn't say it's hard on normal difficulty either. Mm-hmm. Um and I kept trying to use the reticule. I kept trying to, you know, click the trigger, aim for headshots. Oh God, and it could be pretty slow because, you know, you get stuck in place and and they're just shooting at me and I'm trying to get the headshot. And then I just started shooting and I completely forgot there was auto aim in this game. And it is so powerful. Yeah. Th- the game immediately became like, oh, oh, I can play this game. This is not that bad. Mm-hmm. Versus if I try to get every headshot. Which I'm sure some people can do, or you're speedrunners, right? Or even you in your prime, 13 years old. But um, <laughs> I was really struggling with it. So then I realized, oh, damn, this has really powerful auto aim. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Probably you'd want to turn auto aim off to be like the most precise headshotter. Right. Which I never yeah. did. But there were like little hacks that you could do with the, with the game. I discovered this sort of partway through this play really quickly, though tilting down ever so slightly your view Mm -hmm. pressing the top c button so you're leaning ever so slightly down now your auto aim always picks up to sort of a level plane and you just tag everybody oh and that kind of leads me to something about the c button controls i think they're super underrated for maintaining your aim position Uh, this Mm, might be why i was good at this and then was not great at standard dual stick shooter controls because Mm -hmm. in your regular shooters you're always using your right thumb to stabilize your aim right wherever it is on screen in this game you could lightly adjust your vertical on the c buttons and then kind of strafe side to side to adjust your horizontal and your gun would just be pretty static in that position so you could maintain it static up or static down and then manipulate your entire body like your entire screen so that the gun moved with it and it's really strong for precision aiming if you get used Hmm. to it and i mean sure sure, i played this game for three to four years straight when i was a kid (laughs) but i also played dual stick first person shooters not as feverishly, but at least on and off and and pretty regularly early on there for like 15 years after this game. And I never got good with that, but I got really hmm. good with the C button controls. So people are hating on it now, but I think if more <laughs> people gave it a chance, they would realize that Goldeneye had really solid aiming and I never used, or very rarely used the uh, the R button where the, the reticle comes up. Yeah. Because that's hard. That was hard. It, it, yeah, that's pretty sloppy when you try to use that. And I don't know, I guess since we're talking about controls, I understand what you're saying. But I think, I mean, maybe it's just trying to play an N64 game in, in 2023. And on a, for me, on a Switch controller, right? Because I was doing the, the Switch Online version. With the stick as the C buttons? Yes. I would have mapped the C buttons to the face buttons 
and then used like I feel like that would be better. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of strange using the right analog stick for it. So it like I, I guess I don't know what it would feel like with an N64 controller now because I don't I don't have one, but it was an awkward feeling on the Switch controller. And I'm trying to think. I don't think you can remap on on the N64 emulation on there. They have built-in control schemes, like built into the game, where you can switch it. But they're all they're all a little awkward. They're they're all there's something off about all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of them, the C buttons would control your forward, back, and strafing. And then the right. left stick would be your looking, so the opposite of yeah, stick swapping shooters. basically. But actually, mm-hmm. I wanted to tell you on the switch, and everyone listening, this is a workaround. On the okay. switch, go into the switch menu mm-hmm. and change your switch to left-handed mode. Oh, then go into GoldenEye and set your controls to I forget what it's called. It might be solitaire or domino. But Mm -hmm. it's not the main one. And that gives you what I just said, where the C buttons are what would normally be your dual stick left analog. And the left analog is what would normally be your dual stick right analog. And since you swapped it in the switch controls, now they are on the proper thumbs that you're used to for the past 20 years. Right. So there's a workaround. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's cool. I did not know about that. Yeah. Yeah, That's neat, because I was struggling with the controls the whole time, even though I spent some time with it. So that's definitely... I can't say it's a knock against the game itself, because, again, I I haven't played it with an N64 controller in so long, but definitely the Switch version did not feel great controlling the game. Yeah, I'd love it if you went back and tried that and just, like, sent me a message and say, like, how it feels, because I'm curious about that myself. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But as far as the original controls, if I wanted to play it on the Switch in the most authentic way, or at least close to authentic, I would try to keep those face buttons as the C buttons and then just put like A on the right stick button, you know, the push in the stick, and then then reload on just one of the extra shoulder buttons because you have three extra ones or two extra ones. You know, put it on an L2 or an R2. Right, you're only using the one side yeah. for the one trigger, yeah. Yeah, so controls were weird because they were pioneering. You know, they were starting. Yeah. There were no right yeah. analog sticks. <laughs> right. There literally weren't. There was yeah, barely one exist. analog stick. The Nintendo 64 <laughs> was the first thumb <laughs> right. stick. But anyway, yeah, so it's a little clunky, but still so much fun. I, I still can't. Yeah. I can't knock the game for its controls because I found myself running through the game really well, strafing, moving quickly, taking out enemies. It's incredible how how I fell back into it. All right. So just a few more specific elements. One really big one, the multiplayer. Of course. Um, hello. The, the elephant in the room. We didn't get to play it. Or did you? You have the Switch version. Did you get to play multiplayer? So yeah, I, my fiance and I tried just a bit because I, I really wanted. My brother doesn't live super far from me, so mm-hmm. I still at some point want to have him over and and relive those old memories. We just didn't have a chance, but we played a little bit of split screen, and we were laughing quite a bit. We were having fun. Uh, we did you know a slappers only match. Mm-hmm. We were 
back in the facility, you know, checking out the bathroom stalls, finding the rocket launcher there, shooting at each other. It's definitely one of those cases where I'm more comfortable with first-person games compared to her, so it can be a little unfair in that sense. So I know she only wants to play so much because it's kind of tough if you keep dying. So yeah. uh, we didn't spend a ton of time with it, but it it for such an old game, it was making us laugh and we were having fun the short time we did play it. So uh, it definitely brought up some of those memories again of playing with my brother. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think it still holds up in its own way. It's you're both at the, I don't know if disadvantage is the right word, but you're both at the the mercy of the awkward controls. Mm-hmm. So it's a level playing field still, yeah. uh, unless it's someone who's still playing it every day. Um, you're both going to kind of fumble around with it and still manage to have some fun with it. So I, I, I enjoyed messing around with it a little bit. That's cool. Do you play a lot of first-person shooters or like at least a fair number in the last 20 years? Yeah, I would say it's not at the top of my list of genres I'm the most familiar with or play all the time, but I I usually play all the big ones like Okay. Uh yeah, I played Halo Infinite last year. I Doom Eternal I didn't beat, but I played a lot of it and that one's really really hard and I did that with mouse and keyboard, so I've played my fair share of first-person shooters. Nice. So I did remember GoldenEye feeling incredibly full-featured, robust, all the different weapon options, the sets of weapons that made each different setting feel almost like a different game, the different rules like slappers only, the license to kill, the golden gun, the living daylights, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Do you feel like those things, the options and the, the breadth of the experience feels somewhat equivalent to more modern games still, or does it feel like it's old and lesser and just not as full featured as modern shooters? That's a really good question. So yeah, when I was going back, cause my memories of it, much like you are, it was a full suite of options, a lot of things you can change, but I think when you, play it in 2023 i think it does feel limiting or mm. there, there are fewer options overall compared to modern games i feel like because i think with a lot of modern games you get variants that you can toggle you get like full-on completely different game modes right not just here's a different set of weapons or i know golden eye has you know the golden gun or um like the limited lives one or even the one where you're holding the flag right um but I feel like there are full-on game modes that are just completely different in modern games. I don't know that GoldenEye has that when you think about it in the modern context. So it's not to the point where I felt like there's nothing we can change when we try Mm -hmm. this when I played with my fiancé. But I don't think it holds up to a lot of modern shooters. I think think it is pretty limiting comparatively. So it has aged a lot. But at the time, it was better than anything, Absolutely. It was... It was revolutionary in that sense, especially yeah. again on consoles. I'm sure there were some PC shooters who that maybe had some a lot of toggles, but I, I wouldn't have known because I wasn't playing those. So yeah, yeah. The first big one that I remember as far as multiplayer deathmatch was the original Counter Strike. Sure. That wasn't out until 2000. Okay, so a few years later. So, yeah. yeah, came soon, but that really took. The, the first-person shooter world by Storm. Right. I feel like Quake was pretty big with 
with yeah. multiplayer too. I don't, maybe Quake Two when I'm not sure when Quake Two came out, but I feel like that was the big multiplayer one. Yeah, Quake because Quake huge. One had the the campaign and like the Trent Reznor soundtrack. So I think I think a lot of people played that for the single player too. Whereas I feel like Quake Two was the big like oh my god, online multiplayer is incredible. Yeah, I mean Quake and uh, Quake Two were definitely some of the biggest first person shooters, and they have. Yeah their you know forever followings and then going on to quake 3 quake throughout that series and quake 2 was also that same year i don't think i mentioned it before which is weird but quake 2 came out in 1997 also now that I think oh okay yeah so yeah those were huge and uh probably the leaders but for console players you know we didn't really know all about that <laughs> at the time right, and that was a big divide back then right versus now you know i have a bunch of consoles and i have a really good desktop yeah. or you know i even have a steam deck now which is almost like a computer right so right. i think i think that's how it is now versus you know back in 97 if you weren't playing doom or quake goldeneye 007 was revolutionary to you mm-hmm. even having a computer in the mid 90s was <laughs> sure. not super common you know it wasn't like right. everyone just had three computers in their house right there you go yeah <laughs> um what are a couple other things we're almost done here but there are a couple things that i just really wanted to mention the pause screen you mentioned with the music but also the layout yeah. of it was super cool oh yeah bonds watch it showed your your the health. fuzzy screen effect yeah yep. you got your health your body armor all your weapons on the next screen all your objectives listed mm-hmm. so Very cool sleek. wait and like yeah when you pressed pause, it didn't just go straight to it. He pulled out his other hand he and pulled put it up, up the, to the screen. Yeah, he pulled up the watch. Oh, yeah, that's so, so good. Cool. Um, another moment for me that is super memorable is right in that first level where you find the sniper rifle at the top of the first tower. And you're like, okay, oh, uh-huh. I'll use this. It's a sniper rifle. Holy, wow, I can zoom in across the whole world here. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was incredible. Yeah, and then dual wielding when you oh, got gosh, a second. Yeah, gun, I was gonna bring it up if you didn't. Yeah, when you killed an enemy who was dual wielding, and you already had <laughs> that gun, you would get a second gun. Yeah, which is like weird because you should be able to dual wield every time you pick up a second gun. But right, but yeah, it that's fun. A, a strange restriction. But still, they made it <laughs> <Yeah>. special. <laughs> yeah, and it like it's really memorable. was powerful. It's a huge power increase yeah once you have a second one it's mm-hmm. you're just mowing down enemies at that point honestly one of my favorite weapons in the game is two dd44 dustove pistols just like the second oh pistol interesting that's yeah. super loud it just has uh-huh. a really good sound and it looks cool <laughs> because you see the slide yeah. reciprocating back on both of them and you shoot them in alternate and the, the shells are flying and just two handguns is super cool. I feel like that's the ultimate John Woo expression, yeah, exactly. right? Here's my two handguns back and forth, right? Yeah, really cool. Any other things like that that, that are really super memorable moments for you or that came back this time playing that were super cool? Playing with the big heads was uh, was very fun to go back to. I forgot about that. Or even just cheat codes in general. I never I never think about cheat codes anymore. And I was playing it. I was probably playing it a few days. And I randomly thought, oh, I almost guarantee this has cheat codes. 
So I looked it up, and there you go. Even There's even an article on how to input them on the Switch controller. So I was in the menu, activating cheat codes, you know, invincibility, big heads, uh, all all guns, and just messing around with that a little bit one of the days. So that was a nice blast from the past from when you could just put in a cheat code. Wait a sec. You could just activate those things by doing button combos on the oh, switch oh yeah button? as you were talking about completing everything on the highest difficulty to, to unlock those i thought you could just go in the menu and do them what? they're very long combinations but absolutely that was not in the original it's no i'm pretty sure it is because i feel like that's what i did because i i know there were game sharks and stuff like that but i don't think i used one for for golden eye oh my goodness that is something that completely flew over my head if that's true yeah and you have to hold there's a lot of holding one key and pressing the other so for my switch controller it was hold left bumper and do c stick or c button right or okay now you have to hold both bumpers and hit the left d-pad button so i'm not sure what it would be like on n64 controller but i'm almost positive the original had the cheat codes as well yeah, I remember just having to beat every single level in a certain amount of time on a certain difficulty to unlock them. And then <laughs> you could go into the menu and toggle them on and off. So, okay, that's I think that's where the difference is. So to even get the cheat code menu, you do have to beat... I don't know if it's a specific level or any level. You have to beat one of them on the target time, mm-hmm. which I did... Which one did Some I do? There was an easy one. Oh, like the, oh runway. the runway one. Yeah. Runway, yes. I beat runway in probably 30 seconds, and then that unlocked the cheat menu, and then at that point you could put in whatever code you want. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> you could also activate them with a Game Shark. I had a you Game could, Shark yeah. when I had a sure. Nintendo 64, and the very <laughs> best code for Game Shark was a method to unlock portions of the level that were built but inaccessible. And this was done by pressing the button on the front of the Game Shark cartridge. There was one little (laughs) hard plastic button. Uh And when you press that, this crazy powerful bullet would shoot out from like your chest from the middle of nowhere. And you could take out <laughs> you could take out the other players and the enemies if you use this also, but that's not what it was for. I would use it in multiplayer and walk up to a certain door, like in the archives or in the facility or in the caverns or whatever, mm-hmm. and press the button, and it would destroy the locked door as if it were just like a wooden crate. And then you could what? you could simply walk through there and play your multiplayer game in a much bigger multiplayer area. And that was the most fun to use because it was like getting some new extra game added to your game. That's incredible. I did not know that existed. Wow. (laughs) That was one of my favorite things about playing multiplayer, GoldenEye. Yeah. All right. So that covers a lot of it. There's so much more we could say. But I think maybe we should uh, move on to our final thoughts, which seem pretty obvious at this point. (laughs) So at the end of every episode, we like to look back on our time playing the game and decide if it was worth our time and if we think it would be worth anyone else's time. 
and we say whether the game was more of a smash or more of a brick. Mm-hmm. So what would you call GoldenEye 007 for the Nintendo 64? I would definitely say a smash. There are certainly some archaic parts of it. This is a game from 1997, a 3D game from 1997. Mm-hmm. But I think I can look beyond the controls. I can look beyond maybe some of the limitations with multiplayer modes nowadays because I think at the heart of it, and I've mentioned a few times, playing it in 2023, I felt like James Bond. I felt like the objective structure of the game and of the difficulty. What a great way to deal with difficulty, mm-hmm. to make it objective-based. I think those things are so forward-thinking that that still holds up in 2023. So even if I'm fumbling a little bit with controls or if there's some level design spots that are maybe a little hard to parse where the geometry looks a little bit the same or it's easy to get lost. I feel like it still succeeds in the sense that it feels like a great James Bond video game and that objective based structure feels fresh even in 2023. So I I think it's definitely worth visiting for the first time or even revisiting for those who who've played it before. Hmm. I agree. (laughs) With almost no caveats, I call this a smash. Totally worth going back. (laughs) I was not disappointed. I had a lot of fun. This game is fantastic. And I recommend it to anyone. It's one of my favorite games of all time. And I think possibly, if I look at games at any given moment, this may have been my most favorite game at the time that it was my favorite game if that makes any sense. Like now my favorite games are the Dark Souls games, but my... Oh, but your passion my for passion it was for GoldenEye was peak. Yeah. Yeah. In the, right. in the late 90s. I hear you on that. That's awesome. So yeah. full on Smash. That's from both of us. And anyone <laughs> listening, if you haven't played it already to prepare for listening to this episode, do go back and play it. Please go back and play it. Yes. Such a good game. Yes, please do. Warms my heart that it even exists and i love what you said in that last part like about how it was very forward thinking and i just thought these guys didn't even realize that they couldn't do the things that they did and that's how they did them (laughs) blind ambition can be very powerful yes (laughs) no one was there to say no 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 people don't do this (laughs) right and that's basically (laughs) the story of goldeneye is a bunch of guys who didn't know what they couldn't do so they did it Yeah, so they did it. Amazing. And here we have it. (laughs) Well, that's it. That's Goldeneye. Thanks, Anthony. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Eddie. Yeah, this was fantastic. I loved this trip down memory lane. Yeah, I'm glad we picked this game. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you again, hear you again back on the show. Definitely. Um, Where can people find you, if anywhere? So I'm uh, at AMLabella on Twitter. I usually post about video games every now and again thinking about getting back into writing on a blog maybe oh, nice. so keep an eye out for that if you're interested yeah and you'll let people know on the twitter definitely cool man yeah and uh as for us it's the same old same old find us wherever fine podcasts are given away for free you're probably listening to it on one of those right now you can also follow me on instagram at smashing bricks twitter smashing underscore bricks and you can email smashingbrickspodcast at gmail.com 
with any commentary you have on any past game or any game coming up. And I encourage you all to play along in the days and weeks leading up to our games so that if you don't have any recent experience with the game, you now will. And you can really relate to our nostalgic trip down memory lane each time. And for our next episode, I'll be having a returning guest once again. It will be Sadie Flea, and we will be playing our newest game yet, Super Mario Sunshine. So look out for that. Ooh, on that'll 14. be a good one. Nice. Yeah, play along, Anthony. You can get it on. I the will. Switch. I will. I haven't played it in a while. Yeah. They have the 3D anthology. I have the 3D called. collection. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might join for that and, and play along. Awesome. I actually love it because I just finished Super Mario Odyssey and I happen mm-hmm. to have a lesser opinion of that than the world. So going back to an older one will be very interesting. Yeah, good compare and contrast. (laughs) Finally, check out the Smashing Bricks Retro Games list, or the SBRGL, which is linked in the show's description. That shows all the games that we have played and what our verdicts were, as well as a huge list of games that are future options for future episodes. If you see something there that you would love to play or love to listen to, to a discussion about send an email in to smashingbrickspodcast at gmail.com or if there is a game that is not on the list and you would like to see on the list send it to that same email address all right so that's it that's what will be on the agenda for next time uh until then thanks again anthony thank you my name is eddie and zotto thank you listeners for listening and until next time May the nostalgia be with you. It's going to be so f***ing hyped. (laughs) Nice. It's going to be the most epic (laughs) intro ever. Yeah.